Welcome to Tea and Tattle, a podcast where we hold candid conversations on creativity, books, well-being and everything in between. I'm your host Miranda Mills and today I'm joined by the photographer and writer Marta Marie Forsberg to discuss her fabulous cookbook The Cottage Kitchen. I've been a fan of Marie's stunning Instagram account for many years and I love the photos she shares of her recipes and daily life in her charming house in the English countryside. In today's episode, Marie tells me about her path to becoming a photographer and how she started out styling photographs in her parents' garage in Norway before making the bold decision to move to a tiny cottage in the English countryside and carve out her life somewhere new. Over the years, Marie has amassed hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram who appreciate her incredible eye and who love to follow along her adventures in the countryside, cooking and walking with her beloved dog, Mr Whiskey, at her side. Marie has written about her initial move to England, settling into her cottage and adopting Mr Whiskey in her new cookbook, The Cottage Kitchen, which shares stories from her life as well as seasonal recipes inspired by her travels and her Norwegian roots. I loved hearing about how Marie returned to the kitchen to give her a taste of home whenever she got a bit homesick and how she gradually became a part of the community surrounding her. I think Marie's story is so inspiring and I'm sure all Tea and Tattle listeners will think so too. So let's get started with the show. Hello Marie, thank you so much for being on Tea and Tattle podcast today. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, I'm so excited to be speaking to you today because I really admire your stunning photography and I've followed your Instagram account for many years already. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet to hear. I'm really excited to chat with you as well. Oh, well, thank you. And of course, I bought your cookbook, The Cottage Kitchen, when it came (laughs) out in the winter. And I just can't tell you how much I love it. I mean, I've made several of your recipes already, and I've shared it with friends and they've cooked from it as well. So I'm really looking forward to discussing the book and your love for food more today. Oh, that's incredibly kind of me to say. I'm so I'm thrilled to hear that you enjoy it. Oh, no, it really is like such a work of art. The recipes are delicious, but the book is beautiful too. But before we get on to really talking about it more, would you just tell me a little bit about yourself and your creative career path, so to speak? I mean, I know your life hasn't really followed a very typical career path. So I wondered if you could tell me a bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, I was sort of admiring everyone that had that said that, you know, they found their passion and they knew what they wanted to do. And it, it's not everyone that, that knows that, but I sort of looked up to those who did and thought, oh my God, why haven't I found what I want to do and what I love? Because there's so many things I enjoyed doing, mm. but it didn't really amount to one specific job or something that I could do. And then I discovered Instagram. And I think slowly over time, 
um, using that app in in sharing my passion for photography, that that passion sort of developed. I didn't it didn't have an instant uh, love for photography the first time I picked up a camera, but it's something that's sort of evolved over time. Um, and then through that, I found a love for for telling of telling visual stories mm. um, through using the app Instagram and taking um, a photography class at the last year of, of um, university when I finished my degree in Middle Eastern studies. Mm. And I just kind of missed being creative and I took um, half a semester of introduction to photography. And those things together, when I then moved back to Norway, because I was studying at the States at the time, and I moved back to Norway and I just slowly began doing it every day like getting up and shooting um, food and styling and cooking in my kitchen and and slowly that passion emerged and it reminded me of what I loved doing when I was a child mm. but I've probably just forgotten a bit because it's so distracted by this big world and all the things you can do and all the studies and all the places you can travel and I got a bit lost I think in that big world of opportunities to discover and when I then moved back to Norway um, at an age where probably many people have found what they are supposed to do in life. I was 32. Mm. I was still kind of like, oh, I don't know. So I just began slowly in my little cottage in Norway, cooking, styling, photographing, um, and found that this, this is something I love doing. Oh, that's wonderful that you sort of went back to your roots in order to really find out what you really loved. Was food always a part of your love for storytelling as well? Did that always come in with the photography or did you start photographing other things first and then the food came in later? Yeah, you know what? I've always been passionate about food. I mean, I grew up in the countryside in Norway and my mum is an excellent cook and um, we always had this, you know, abundance of fresh produce because we had a, a big vegetable and fruit garden. So I was very spoilt growing up with um, eating seasonal and and um, local fishermen would come up with fish, you know, the daily catch. And uh, and so I was very used to that. And then when I started traveling, I probably didn't eat very well for a long time. I was only eating in restaurants. I didn't really cook too much. And uh, and then when I took my last, last degree in Middle Eastern studies, I really missed home. And so that's when I started cooking to sort of reconnect myself with my roots. And I'd for- forgotten a lot of the recipes. So I was I started writing letters to my mum and, you know, sort of getting recipes back and forth. And that's also coincided with when I started doing the photography classes. And I I didn't really know exactly what to photograph. I just loved the use of light. Mm. But then since I was cooking a lot, I was like, oh, right, I'll just start photographing the subjects I have in front of me and, and explored light through shooting food and the recipes I was cooking based on the letters back and forth from mum. And through that, I was like, oh, but I really love storytelling about food and where it comes from and who's cooking it and how it's presented and the gatherings. So that's when it sort of developed slowly from that. And so how did you go then from taking this up in Norway, starting to experiment with food and photography to then moving to the English countryside and really setting yourself up there as a photographer and starting to write this cookbook? Oh, yeah, it's, you know what, I think, so I, I traveled a lot from a very early age, I was always very adventurous and loved exploring. Um, but in that, I think I got a bit lost again, uh, in terms of um, exploring so much that you kind of lose a little bit 
touch with your roots maybe mm. which is again why I started cooking to reconnect with that but then when I moved I thought when I finished my degree that I could just move home maybe naively so because when I moved home to Norway I hadn't lived there for so many years that I'd changed as a person so I think you know me where my roots are, are very well rooted in Norway in the Norwegian soil but me as the woman I am today she didn't fit in. That's what it felt like when I moved back. So when I moved back home and started photographing and cooking in my little cottage there uh, on this island where my parents had um, a cottage, it was a garage. Let's face it. <laughs> it was my parents' garage. <laughs> well, it sounded so idyllic, a cottage on an island. <laughs> yeah, I know, but they made <laughs> You know, right? Oh, that's the bubble bursted. But um, it was a, they built a lovely separate house. So it has a garage in the front, a little cottage in the back. But it is basically my parents' garage. Um, but it was such a beautiful little place. And I loved sort of feeling safe there and, and developing my photography skills and cookery skills, mm. uh, all in the name of, sort of trying to tell visual stories. But I didn't feel at home. Mm. So as I started gaining clients, and I actually had a few fashion photography clients so I would go on photo shoots to England and Scotland with them and there was this one time when I was in London uh, it was very early on uh, right after I think I just spent a summer in Norway and this was autumn and uh, I, I just felt like I hit rock bottom in the sense that I just felt so lost like where do I belong where do where is since I don't fit in in Norway anymore now where do where is home then if that's not my home um, and then I spent a night in a bed and breakfast and big wet tears and, oh, where's home? And then I searched just for fun on the internet, houses for rent in England. And there it was, 12 pages in, I saw this whitewashed thatched cottage with a white picket fence. And I just, my heart just skipped and I just thought, oh, oh my God, that's my home. Oh. And then I moved. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I love that story. And... I mean, what I really enjoyed about your cookbook too is that you do share some anecdotes of your life and what it was like to move to this cottage as well as what you cooked during your initial time there. And one of my favourite passages from the book was where you describe a phone call you had with your mum where she was worried <laughs> that you might be feeling a bit lonely sort of having <laughs> arrived in the UK by yourself what was that like what was it like to move somewhere where you didn't really know anyone and sort of set up your own life in that way uh, it's a bit looking back it's a bit daunting and I'm really glad I didn't think much about it I just did mm. because if you, if you thought about it, like oh my gosh Marie you don't know anyone you, you hardly even have a job and you don't know you have no connections there. You're just going to move to a cottage in the middle of nowhere, not even in London. It was like, you know, two hours into the English countryside. And, and looking back, I thought, oh, I'm glad no one really sat me down and, <laughs> and talked to me about it because I just felt so strongly that that was my home. So I literally just saw it the next day, went up, signed the contract, went to nowhere, packed my bags and moved in. And so the first, I would say, year, it was really hard because when you don't have a network, they could go days without you talking to anyone unless you pick up the phone and call your parents or friends, which of course you do, but it's not the same as walking out on the street and having someone say hello or invite you out for a coffee. Or... So I remember having these conversations with mom and yeah, she did kept, she kept asking me because she felt, you know, being alone is a wonderful thing because you're sort of left 
to think and to feel, which I think is important for growth, for mm. personal growth. But when you feel lonely, as in like really, it's that, yes, like you're the only person in the world and you're sinking down into this dark hole, mm. that's not necessarily so uplifting. So my mother wanted to to know which one it was. Mm. And um, yeah, just sort of touch base with the, How's my daughter doing alone in England? And so she made suggestions, like I should join the local choir and the local ukulele group, basically women in the choir over 75 and, and, and a bunch of old men sitting and playing ukulele. But <laughs> it will get me out and it will get me talking to people. Yeah. And, uh, and so I did. And, and it just changed everything because you, you start feeling connected and then someone says hello and then, you walk into the old antique shop and all of a sudden you're being invited in for a, a cup of tea because it's a bit cold outside. And, mm -hmm. and then they start pulling over in the middle of the road with new antiques when they're on their way from a market to their shop because you live on the road and knock on the door to see if you want any of his new furniture. And, and all of a sudden you start interacting. But it takes a long time from not knowing anyone to being invited in for a cup of tea. Yeah. Well, it's just, you're so right. It's those first steps and just taking action and sort of getting out there and just doing something. But I love how much of the community you clearly are now. You're such a part of it. And I took your little mini Skillshare course oh. <laughs> on food <laughs> photography um, yes. from a while ago but I loved it because well for one it showed your passion for storytelling through photography and through words but also it showed how much the community mattered to you and about the place where you lived which I think is so important and that's what really comes through in your photography and in this cookbook too is you get a real sense of place Oh, that's lovely to hear. I'm glad. But yeah, England is, to me, it sort of opened my eyes to, to community. Um, Norwegians are known for being quite lone wolves in a way. They were very independent, and especially my family were very independent souls. But what I found when I moved to England is that I, I found, or the place I moved to in England, um, is that I found a place of like-minded people that had a lifestyle very similar to the one I had growing up. So in a way, it felt like coming home because it resonated with, with me in my heart that this is how I grew up. I grew up with amazing produce and organic farms around me, mainly my mother's kitchen garden. But knowing that around me, there were so many people producing cheese and local butcher and local fishmonger. And, and all of a sudden, I was like, oh, God, this is, this is a place that resonates with me. This is... Uh, yeah, people that love the same things I do. And of course, the afternoon tea ritual, sitting down with a cup of tea, something that was unfamiliar to me, but just felt so right. Lathered <laughs> <laughs> in, you know, clotted cream and jam and, oh, it's perfect. <laughs> yes, I love how you've adapted that into your daily routine, or even if not the full afternoon tea, you have a cup of tea every oh, afternoon. Yeah. And I it think that that is fabulous. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. But I love the way that your cookbook takes you through each season. I love seasonal cookbooks. They're my very favorite. And I think yours does it so well because, again, it gives you that real sense of place and of the changing seasons where you are. And you have recipes that match each season that are both 
British inspired, but also really go back to your Norwegian roots. Is that very much how you cook now then in your everyday? It's a real mix of Norwegian and sort of British inspired recipes. Definitely. I think it's a little bit of a, a potpourri of, of the places I've lived around the world, but definitely rooted very much so in my mother's um, my mother's kitchen in a way. Uh, mm. These old recipes that I grew up with, traditional old, uh, traditional old Norwegian recipes, very simple, very basic. I think that's, for me, that's comfort food, you know, all, little porridges, sour cream porridge is my favorite. And it's so soothing and so Oh, I don't, I've made that from the book and it's you? wonderful. <laughs> yeah. It's like this comfort, obviously the texture is very silky and smooth and then it's the sour, the sweet, the salty of the butter. And I don't know, to me that is just mm, comfort in a bowl. But there's very much rooted in, you know, how you grew up and what you ate. So it's nostalgic cooking. Um, but yeah, definitely my everyday everyday cooking is definitely rooted very much so in the mother's kitchen mixed in with uh, new recipes I've learned from English cookery and then just travels travels around the world yes well I can't wait to try your recipe for Prosecco scones which sounds oh, yes. so <laughs> delicious decadent and festive but oh so good yeah I know especially talking of afternoon tea that is definitely a recipe I want to try but before we chat about your book a little bit more, would you mind reading an extract from it? Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. So um, I have the book in front of me and I, it's, I know we're going into summer, but this is in the introduction part of the book. Um, and it's mainly talking about because I moved there in the winter. So it's describing winter and hopefully that won't come for a few more months. But I'll start there anyway, if that's OK with you. Oh, yes, lovely. <laughs> All right. So there I was, spending the night in a bed and breakfast in England, between a job shooting a campaign for an American fashion brand and meetings in London, crying big wet tears of not knowing where I belonged in this world. Where do I go from here? I desperately wanted to type into the search box on the internet. So I did, or nearly did. I wiped my eyes clear of salted tears, opened a blank search page on my mobile phone and typed, Houses for Rent in England. Little did I know that those very words would change my life forever. Twelve pages in, I fell in love with a house. It was love at first sight, and I knew inexplicably that this was my future home. I looked at the photo of the white thatched cottage with a tiny garden surrounded by a white picket fence over and over. This cottage was my home. I could feel it, and it really didn't matter where it was located. As far as I was concerned, I already lived there anyway. In a smaller text underneath the photo, the name of the town was written, Shaftesbury, it read, and I sounded it out in the dark moonlit room as if I was learning to pronounce a word for a magical spell for the very first time, Shaftesbury. The next day I was on the train, and it didn't take much persuasion for me to sign on the dotted line. Eagerly, I returned to Norway only to pack my bags and return to England for a shiny new chapter of my new home. Every chimney of the cottage in my new hometown bellowed out smoke on a daily basis that first winter, indicating a cosy fire crackling away inside, warming its inhabitants with a steady glow. Mine had one too. In the centre of the living room, with its low ceiling of dark wooden beams, there was a big old fireplace with a wonky wooden lintel piece that looked like it had been there ever since the cottage was built hundreds of years ago. 
The wood was darkened by time and dotted with tiny holes that were wood-warmed. The wood-warm had feasted over the years. The cottage had a hobbit-like entrance with a white stable door, a straw roof and a tiny kitchen and a very small yet inviting bathtub, just large enough for me to either submerge my legs or my back but never both at the same time. I filled the shed at the back of the garden with wood, storing up for a long winter ahead and began exploring my new hometown. I learned quickly that although Norway has longer and colder winters than England, there's nothing more bone-chillingly cold than the latter. During the first winter in my new home, freezing winds made a mess of my wavy blonde hair and pinched my pale cheeks pink. I stuffed my rubber wellies with knitted woolen socks to stay warm and explored the nearby hills via a muddy path and narrow countryside lanes. Despite being wrapped in oversized wool coats, knitted mittens and a fluffy warm scarf, nothing seemed to keep the humid cold from penetrating the many winter layers I had on. I felt exposed. I was no stranger to setting up a new camp or living abroad. Ever since the age of 15, I'd spent summers living in Switzerland to learn Swiss German. I moved to Tokyo at the age of 17, quickly followed by new adventures in Italy, where I studied fashion design in Milan. And when I was 20, I worked as a flight attendant for Scandinavian Airlines and lived in the Dominican Republic before moving to Malta for studies. My love for exploring new cultures and languages led me to seek a second degree in Middle Eastern studies at a university in America, where I simultaneously immersed myself in the American way of life. However, this move felt new. It was less about new adventures and more about coming home. Are you sure you won't be lonely over there in England all by yourself, so far away from friends and family? My beloved mother asked after I announced I was moving again. Oh, I'll be fine, I said, brushing off her loving concern. But I knew in my heart I would. Of course I would. But there's that thing about when you get that deep feeling of knowing something is right. There is an inexplicable feeling of warmth and calm that guides you in an unexpected direction and you unwaveringly choose to follow because you trust. You leap, hoping that all your questions will be answered as you go along. It feels like a pillar of strength is erected inside of you, and even if you know you'll be lonely and that it will be hard, harder than you ever imagined, you also trust that you'll develop all the strength you need as you choose to have faith, both in the journey and perhaps even more so in yourself. Oh, I love that passage. That was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and I just find that so moving. I mean, I love the way that you do share these personal anecdotes in your cookbook as well. And it's such a story of personal growth for you as well as your growth as a cook which Definitely. I think is so special and it's amazing that you just had this really strong instinctive feeling that you had come to the right place and that good things would happen I mean at one point in your book you write that it was a bit difficult and you know Mr Darcy didn't appear on horseback <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> riding over the hills no but that you really had to sort of learn to love the life you were living, even when things didn't go quite as you'd planned. Yeah. So 
how did you really learn to be more content with what you had in the moment and really trust and believe in yourself without always looking towards the future and wishing for more? Oh, do you know what? I think it's definitely been a journey. I've not, I'm very impatient by nature and uh, it's definitely, I think, two things. My mum, she is an incredibly warm, calm spontaneous and fun woman but very wise and her words over the years she's written me letters ever since I've moved for the first time when I was 16 so every week she would write me letters and I've kept them all but they're all little words of wisdom recipes the daily weather report and and she's always taking time to be she would always bring me into the garden with lunch when I was a little girl and, you know, we'd climb into the hammock together and just swing back and forth as we were done with lunch and put the tray down in the grass and just look up at the leaves. And she, we would just talk about the leaves, like look at the light, the way it dances between the dark green and the light green as we sort of swing back and forth and the leaves create shadows and light. And, and she would always sort of draw my attention to those little things that makes life so beautiful, but it's so easy to overlook. Hmm. Then fast forward to when I found my, my home in England and was forced to be alone, um, lived, had living, lived in sort of big cities in Milan and studied fashion design. My heart uh, had a pace, my heartbeat was a lot faster. So when I came, it was quite a shock to the system in a way. And I had to sort of learn to um, enjoy the slower pace go for walks and in doing that you start hearing your thoughts and your heartbeat slows down and I found that oh this is good for me this is where I belong um so definitely having been influenced by my mom's way of living and then having been introduced to this new chapter where there was no noise there was no distractions there was nobody to to hang out with and talk to other than <laughs> only Mr Whiskey <laughs> only Mr Whiskey oh and he was such a good oh he's great to talk to he's a, <laughs> <laughs> he's a wonderful uh he's a cheeky monkey but you know he's he's wonderful oh so, he yeah, he's adorable <laughs> yeah so yeah that's I think those two things you're just being in a setting where you had to be alone with your own thoughts and going for walks with whiskey come rain or sun or wind and then having uh, grown up with a mother like like mine who sort of always installed in me uh with her way of being mm. the beauty of the little things the small happinesses sprinkled over like fairy dust on our everyday oh. tasks well, I, I so agree with that philosophy. I, I, I have my own hashtag that I started called Days of Small Things. Ooh, lovely. And I use that just to sort of try and capture the little magic moments of the everyday. And I yeah. think you're so right. It's so important to just slow down and appreciate those little moments that do happen every day and that are there if you're willing to sort of look for them and yeah. appreciate them. Definitely, because they are all over. It's just like you say, being aware like where they are, that they are there and they are all around you and noticing them. Yes, exactly. And I love your photography and that for me it always provides this little moment of calm and stillness and just joy whenever I look at one of your photos. And, of course, your cookbook is full of 
gorgeous images that you've created. But I wanted to talk to you a bit more about your photography process. How do you go about setting up a scene and really creating that magical atmosphere for your photo? I know you've mentioned that you love light and you do really use light incredibly in your photos. Oh, thank you. That's incredibly kind of you to say. I, I really do love photography. And like you like you mentioned, it, it starts with light, really. Um, light inspires me. And I think light is such a big factor in, in telling visual stories and creating a mood, um, highlighting certain things and obscuring others. Um, so that's really where I start. Uh, if I'm styling something, it always starts with where's the light? And then mm-hmm. I begin creating or if I just see something, it's usually because light shines or does not shine upon certain things and creates like a little vignette or a little mood and a little moment. And then I'm like, ooh, oh, there it is. So sometimes you just see it and sometimes you create it, but it always starts with light for me. Definitely. Yeah. And your photos just tell a story by themselves I think too I mean your your words add to them marvelously as well but you can just get such a sense of place and of atmosphere just from your photography which I think is such a gift to be able to do that thank you that's so kind to say it's definitely a, a process and a journey I think you like any storyteller it takes a while to find your voice and then when you found it you may be losing it again and you find it again and then it's evolved into something else so I hope I'll continue learning and growing in telling visual stories um, because there's so there's so much talent out there and it's always exciting to to grow and to learn new things Uh, so hopefully I'll that storytelling ability will will grow. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure it shall. I mean, your photos are always so inspiring. But yes, and I've, of course, kept up with your story because the Cottage Kitchen has you in England with Mr. Whiskey cooking happily. I've followed along your story through Instagram, (laughs) (laughs) of course. And now I know that a Mr. Darcy did appear (laughs) you now have a lovely daughter Emma and you've started your family has your cooking changed a lot since that happened you know what uh both yes and no so in the beginning yeah so he did come which was amazing um (laughs) he's a wonderful man and I'm so grateful to have met him and my cookery has definitely um yeah, it's changed a little bit because when I first started cooking, which a lot of people have noted, it sounded so heartbreakingly lonely is when I write about that I, I cooked uh, for the friends I didn't have and the family I didn't have. <laughs> of course, I had friends in other places in the world. I just didn't have friends living next to me because obviously I moved to a new place. But a lot of people have sort of come up and be like, well, that sounds so heartbreakingly lonely, Marie. And it was. I cooked for those people I didn't have around me. And now I cook for those I do have around me. Um, so it's maybe larger quantities. Yes. <laughs> I think that's amazing, though, that you cooked and in the end they came. Yes, you build the ship and they shall come. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so yeah. wonderful. But one thing, one well, one very personal reason for me as to why I love your cookbook so much is that it does feel like a love letter to the English countryside, to food, which are both things I enjoy, but also a real love letter to your mother. Yes. 
And I have such a great relationship with my own mum too. And she's one of the main reasons why I love food and I love to cook because she's shared so many recipes and advice with me over the years, just like your mum has (laughs) for you. And I know this is a really hard question, but I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the single most important lesson that your mother has taught you about living a good life? The kind of lesson that you wish to pass on to your own daughter, to Emma? Oh, wow. That's a beautiful question. Oh, you know, there's words just come to me and I'm not sure how to pass those honest lessons, but my mom is such an incredibly warm, kind and loving woman but also strong, but strong in a way that, like water, it always finds a way, but it's not hard and edged to, towards people. So she always feels very including, and I'll have friends calling me, you know, and like, and then I'm like, where are you? And they're like, we're at your parents. We're talking to your mom in the kitchen. I'm like, but I'm not there. No, we came to visit your mother. <laughs> and so um, I would hope that just by hoping to be a little bit like my mother that I that Emma would feel that kind of warmth and love and safety and creativity and fun and humor that my mom has as well in growing up in our little family and I would hope that she will just take those things with her that will install in her kindness towards other people oh she'll be kind oh well I think that that is beautiful thank you Well, it's been absolutely wonderful chatting with you. And just as my final question, what's happening with you next? Are there any upcoming projects or books that you're able to share at the moment? I know you're terribly busy. but Oh, yeah, no, we all are. It's exciting. You know, it's just projects of doing things that you love. And I I really just try to to um, create project projects around things I'm really passionate about, and we have uh, so my Mr. Darcy, my my Theo, my English gentleman, <laughs> and I, we've started doing more workshops together, opening our home more, and inviting people home to uh, cook and to photograph and to enjoy exploring the English countryside, which we're really excited about. So we're doing more of those. Also abroad, we're doing a few more retreats abroad. One is in Norway. We're literally just going up to the mountains to a uh, location scout to find a very um, traditional old log homes. And uh, it's nestled into the Norwegian mountains. So we're really excited about that. We're doing more of those food and photography workshops. Then um, definitely hoping to write another book. it's exciting (laughs) and then of course it's working on the Mr Whiskey stories that um that are slowly becoming a little book as well oh so writing about yes the adventures of Mr Whiskey (laughs) oh I can't wait to read those too that sounds amazing and yes I love the look of your workshops I'm like saving up to be able to attend one myself (laughs) one day because they just sound so incredible But if listeners would like to keep up with your news and sort of upcoming workshops and other projects, where can they find you online? I think Instagram is where I live, definitely. And it's my long name, Marta underscore Marie underscore Forsberg. Um, And then, of course, my website, mmforsberg.com. Those are the two places I think I live the most. 
Fantastic. Well, I'll put links to those in the show notes for this episode. But thank you so much, Marie. It's just been so much fun chatting with you today. Oh, thank you, Miranda. Likewise, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this episode of Tea and Tattle. Thank you so much again to Marie for her fabulous interview. For the show notes, extra links and photos, check out the corresponding blog post at teaandtattlepodcast.com forward slash home forward slash 80. Do get in touch and tell me what you enjoyed most about this episode and whether you'd like to get Marie's cookbook, The Cottage Kitchen. You can contact me on Instagram at both Miranda's Notebook and Miranda's Bookcase or you can email me at teaandtattlepodcast at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd be really grateful if you shared it with a friend who you think would like it too, or leave a review on iTunes. Great reviews really help other people to find the show. You can also sign up to receive the Tea and Tattle newsletter and latest episodes at teaandtattlepodcast.com forward slash subscribe. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to tune in again this Friday for a mini Tea Reads episode and again next Tuesday for a regular full-length discussion when I'll be chatting with the fantastic floral photographer Jan Ford. Until then, keep well, be joyful and stay in touch.